Welcome to the podcast that demands ambition, passion, and courage in order to succeed in this mission called life. All you have to do is just pass your limit. Go beyond your restraints by embracing the physical, intellectual, and emotional suck that life will throw at you. I'm your host, Ugo. I do not claim to be the subject matter expert, but I will share my experiences and I'll ask my guests to do the same. The discussions will be guided by honesty and civility. Some episodes will have guests, but most of them will be me and you. No excuses accepted here, people. None. I'm excited to get after it. So without further ado, let's go. My guest today is Daniela Salinas, a woman who served for four years in the U.S. Marine Corps. She recently left the service with an honorable discharge, and it is a pleasure to have her on my podcast today. Welcome, Daniela. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. I know I'll get better from this conversation, and there's a lot to learn. So with that, let's just segue straight into the first question. Can you give my audience some insight to your background and uh, what led you to be a Marine and subsequently why you left? So I'm from Anando, Virginia. I was basically raised here my entire life. Uh, Growing up, I was an athlete, played soccer, mainly was my primary sport and going into high school, played some other sports to stay in shape. So my original plan was never to join the military. But as a young girl, I remember always looking up to anyone in uniform, thinking yeah, it was just right. such an honorable thing to do. Mm-hmm. But as the time came, and I actually got a scholarship to play in the school in Pennsylvania for soccer. Oh, wait, wait. You, you had a scholarship to play football? Well, I'm Nigerian, so we call it football. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, soccer, like in college? I did. I did have one. Wow. What position? Uh, I was a goalkeeper, despite my short height, <laughs> only being 5'3". I was, yeah, I was a goalkeeper. Wow, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. That's awesome. No, that's okay. But so I had that lined up and I was extremely excited because that was everything I worked for. I think any athlete can relate. Just when you play a sport, I think getting the collegiate level is a huge accomplishment and something everyone works for. Right. So I was definitely proud, putting a lot of hours, missing out like on Friday nights to get that. And I finally got it. But um, I kind of came to this, like I, I try to be as realistic with myself as possible. Because I know I didn't possess the skills to take my soccer career past college, not to be mm. negative, but I was just trying to be realistic with myself and I didn't really know what I wanted to study at the same time. Mm. So then I kind of just took a complete 180 and went to go talk to a recruiter and basically was just set on joining. I went straight to the Marine Corps. I didn't bounce from like Army or Navy. I went straight to the Marine Corps because right. I did some research and I wanted to join. Um, you know, the best of the best, what everyone says. says. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah, as cliche as it sounds, like, okay. I wanted to join, like, what everyone says is the most elite for. So I did that, and I remember spending a good two to three hours on the Marine Corps page, like the promotional page that anyone can get access to. Right. Trying to see what MOSs or jobs were open to females that were combat-related. And at the time, the only one that was open was a combat engineer. That was prior to the, to the whole... Uh, change that women can now serve in the infantry but right so i was that said i'm being a combat engineer went to my recruiter basically said like i want to join don't try to like talk me into it. i know i want to do it but i just want to be a combat engineer and he was like yes i can give it that to you like for sure 
So right. long story short, I signed the construction slash utilities contract, which combat engineer does fall underneath. But so does a heavy equipment operator. And that's what I ended up getting. I became a heavy equipment operator. Mm. Um, yeah. So I wasn't too mad with the job I had. I mean, at first I was. I was pretty bitter about the fact that people next to me were getting orders to go to the combat engineer school and I was not when I was promised I would. But Well, well, do, do you think that had something to do with your gender or what do you think that was? You know, I'm not too entirely sure. Um, there were fem- like the females I went to boot camp with. A lot of them got to be combat engineers, especially some of them that went to, that went open contract, which I think made it even worse. I was super mad about that, but I don't really oh, know what it. it was. I think it was just the luck of the draw. But gotcha. um, yeah, but being a heavy equipment operator, I still enjoy the MOS. It's it's such a great MOS. Getting to operate heavy machinery and um, go on humanitarian missions and just do a lot of things like that. It's, it's great training. So awesome. I'm definitely not upset about it, even though I was at first, but you know. Did you get to, a, did you get to deploy or? Um, yes. Yeah, so I went to South Korea for about three months to just build some military roads and just do a lot of training over there. We didn't, we didn't really get to cross train that much with the, uh, with the rock Marines, but it was a great experience overall. Especially uh, only being eighteen years old and going, it was it was nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, did you ever actually go to college, or you decided not to go that route and just go the military route? I just went the military route. I never went to college. Um, I actually did online college when I was in, but I never like stepped foot on the campus to gotcha. attend college. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's an interesting story that you pivoted from something that. Had all that promise with uh, a scholarship and decided to go into try and get into combat arms. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and you and you said MOS. And for my listeners that don't know what an MOS is, it's a military occupational specialty. Um, that's awesome. So let me get to the next question. And um, it's our podcast. This episode is deep, so feel free to speak uh, your mind. And I think that's where we could get better. Um, so this question is, uh, what are your thoughts on sexual assault prevention in the Department of Defense? And how do you think the issues can be fixed? So this is an interesting question because um, I feel like the DOD is doing everything that they can to prevent it. And at the, at the end of the line, the sexual assault, it's, it's someone's decision to commit it. So it's very hard mm. for people. It, you can get told a million times what's right and wrong, but still people will commit what's wrong. It's just how, it's just people sometimes make the wrong decisions and people consciously decide to make those wrong decisions. I think the DOD is making, is working hard to try to prevent in all situations possible, but there's always things that happen and really hard to prevent. So I don't think it's a, it's a failure in the DOD. I think it's just something that's incredibly hard to completely What about, stop. what about the culture though? Like, I mean, you were a Marine, and I know once a Marine, always a Marine, but like, it was a, it's a service dominated by men. So, I mean, did you ever find yourself in an environment where those overwhelming sexism or something that was happening within your day uh, could have triggered some somebody to make bad decisions? You, you see what I'm saying? Oh, okay. I get, yes, I get what you're saying. Um... Yeah, the, the military in general is male-dominant. I think the Marine Corps just kind of takes that up a notch. Um, there was, there are some situations where I think what you're trying to say can... Uh, so you're basically trying to say, like, just because it's a male-dominant 
environment that it could cause um, people to make bad decisions? No, no, not, not necessarily. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, well, well, that too. But I'm thinking like a culture of maybe words that are said that are, that used to be okay are no longer okay. Or, I mean, we talk about consent, right? When consent, what's the definition of consent for everyone that's having a conversation? You know, it, does the same definition apply to the person that is starting that conversation and trying to initiate something. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's what I'm alluding to. And the whole military uh, mindset and being in the same environment a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Being in the field and things of that nature. Okay. I get, yes, I guess what you're saying. So yeah, I definitely noticed while I'm being in the military, people would kind of, I guess, find some humor in things that shouldn't necessarily be humorous at all. Mm. Um, I'm not too sure why that happens. I think it is just like a military mindset, especially like in the lower ranks and being younger. The ones that come up, that come fresh out of high school or that have a little more immature mindset kind of find humor in things that are quite serious. Like I've heard some pretty dark dark jokes about like suicide, sexual assault, and I think wow. at the end of the day, those people who who I guess start those kind of jokes, I think those are the ones who are pretty pretty prone to be the ones that do or may commit a sexual assault crime in the service or maybe later in their life but gotcha. you sometimes just can never t you can never know exactly right you can never know and that's the question that's the challenge right like so what were your main challenges being in a male dominated service or just being in the military period i think some of the main challenges were just trying to not let what their like their comments kind of get to my head, um, because I always held I always held myself to a higher standard physically and, and just in general, because anytime I remember anytime I do like I'd score like a three hundred on a physical fitness test, which a three hundred is perfect. And what you you got a three hundred? I did, I did, yes. What was your three mile? Your fastest three mile run? <sighs> my fastest three mile was. A, it was 20 minutes and 43 seconds. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty fast for me because I was never a runner. And running is something I do not uh, enjoy, but I did force myself to do it a lot. But, wow. I'm yeah, I remember getting it. And, uh, you know, you would hope people would be like, oh, that's great. Like, congratulations. But some people were like, oh, you only got the perfect because female standards are nothing compared to the male standards. And, what? you know. Yeah, because for the male to get a perfect score, a uh, perfect score on their run for in the Marine Corps, they have to get uh, eighteen minutes or below, which is right. challenging uh, as I, it is. But uh, here we go. I I hear that, but at the same time, though, like for you to get a twenty, I mean, you're running at a pace of like six point six or six point seven. That's fast. You know, what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> I don't care if you're a man, woman, or a child or elder. That's fast, but but you alluded to something there. That I've always heard is like, well, the standards are different for women versus men. Do you think that the standards should be the same across the board? Um, I don't because okay. I am. Well, I'm just saying that based on just the biological side of it, because if we look at not only a humans, but any other species, the males, the males are always bigger and stronger than the females. Like, look at lions, look at tigers, look at elephants. Like, the males right. are usually have just more testosterone and more 
muscle mass on them. So they're naturally going to be stronger. But yes, there's cases where women can definitely outperform males. Exactly. Um, you can see it in any kind of sport or any kind of uh, just anywhere. But I think as of right now, um, yeah, like males will always be biological stronger than females. Um, but the standards are changing in the Marine Corps um, prior to my departure. They were talking about upping the the rep scheme for a perfect score on the physical fitness test for females for pull-ups. Okay. Oh, gotcha. So, but I don't think it's ever going to get to 23 pull-ups as a perfect score for uh, male and female. I think it might get as high as 15, but, you know, you never know. Yeah, but, like, to that point, though, do you think that affects women serving in combat? Because I hear that a lot as well, that, oh, well, women don't have to uh, perform at the same standard, so that means women should not be in those combat occupations like infantry. I mean, what is your response to that? It's funny that you ask because I remember uh, talking to the staff NCO in charge of my recruiting station Mm -hmm. um, about this question when infantry was not open to females. Um, He was all, I remember him saying to me, he was like, if a, if, a, if a female can outperform a male in the tasks I ask her to do, then I would always take that female over a male. And I think that's a great kind of mindset. And I wish more wow. um, leaders would have the same kind of mindset he did. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's not really what gender you are. It's as if you can get the mission done effectively. Exactly. And, you know. That's what I'm talking about. Because, like, I have two daughters. And the way I raise them is like, listen, just go out and get it. Don't ever think, like, there's a disadvantage. Because... I realize the media, even the way it's portrayed, you know, there's certain things that are are portrayed and tar- men are targeted versus how women are trying to be like groomed to do something else. And I always like tell my girls, like, listen, whatever you want to do, nothing can stop you but you, you know, so just put out and uh, go get it. So that response right there, I, that means a lot to me. Um, but let's get to the meat on the bones, right? Let's let's talk yeah. <laughs> about something very very important, and I really thank you for actually coming on coming on to share it. Um, can you share your sexual assault incident with my audience, and and if anything, what could have been done to prevent it? Uh, like were they bystanders, or was it just inevitable? Um, so I actually had two when I was serving, but I had one that mm. was reported on. Um, so the first one occurred in 2016, my first year being stationed in Okinawa, Japan. So the first one, um, so long story short, I was at a different barracks. It was not at my barracks. I was at a different barracks trying to, I had a friend, we went out and she was incredibly intoxicated and she was at the point of intoxication where she was kind of acting extremely reckless and could have gotten herself hurt or in trouble. Right. So I was staying with her. At this point, it was like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was trying to stay with her and help and make sure she didn't fall asleep on her back so she wouldn't throw up and eventually pass in her sleep or just anything. But she's being very hostile to me, actually right. throwing things at me. So it's a very hard situation to kind of deal with. So she eventually went to sleep, but I didn't want to leave the barracks in case something did happen, and I just wanted to be in the vicinity, even though my barracks was probably like an eight-minute walk away. Right. But I knew, I had a friend, uh, a male friend, who lived in the same barracks, but on the third floor instead of the fourth floor where she lived. 
And he was up playing Xbox. And I texted him and I asked if I could come down and maybe just like lay on his roommate's extra bed because he didn't have a roommate time. So he had an extra rack and just stay in the barracks. And he said, sure. And I've hung out with this guy several times before. So I knew him like I knew where he was from. I just knew him in general. He was a friend of mine. Right. Um, so I fell asleep because it was it was late. It was like 3.30 or 3.45 in the morning that day. And um, I fell asleep and he was playing Xbox and I fell asleep. But I woke up to him in the same bed as me with his hand on my shirt. And I immediately like sprung up and I, I took a swing at him and hit him in the face and walked out and went to my barracks and just kind of wow went about the day and it didn't really like hit me like what happened it like it was it was kind of weird like I didn't feel any kind of like embarrassment because I know people who do get sexually assaulted feel like immediate effects of it but it didn't hit me that day I just kind of went to my barracks and just went about the rest of my Sunday that day right. and didn't think about it. I just put it off to the side. And then the second one that occurred in 2018, yeah, 2018, I was still mm-hmm. stationed in Okinawa, Japan. Um, so my roommate at the time, she, her and I were roommates for, I think, seven months at this point. This is right after I got promoted to corporal. So I moved in with her because she was also a corporal too. And we had to work with each other. And I knew her. She was a, she she worked, her, her shop was right across from mine. So her and I always talked to each other. So we knew each other. And it was, she was, a normal thing for her to do was afterwards just crack open a beer and drink. She just generally liked to drink beer. And it wasn't normal for her to go on the weekends and come back pretty intoxicated. Um, So it was, it was a normal thing. But it was a Friday night, and my platoon was in was kind of getting punished because we failed the field day before. So we were cleaning that Friday night to get inspected Saturday at six o'clock in the morning. So we were cleaning, and she went out, and it wasn't anything normal. It's not something I raised an eyebrow out because she always went out. Um, I went to bed early. I finished cleaning. I went to bed early because I had to get up next morning at six. Um, so again, I woke up to her trying to get into my bed with me. But um, I didn't think anything much of it. I was like, oh, no, she's just drunk. She thinks this bed is hers. So I was like, no, I was like, no, that's your bed. And like slightly like turned her around, pushed her to her bed. Right. She, she immediately turned back around and came back on the bed and put her hand on my leg and started riding it up uh, to a point where I was ex- extremely uncomfortable. I pushed her wow. off and then she got extremely hostile with me in the room and yelled at me for pushing off of her. And she tried coming back out, and I just swung at her and hit her in the face. She fell down, and there was a lot of commotion in the room, but she ended up just getting in her bed and falling asleep. Like, the duty didn't come to the door, thank God. But hmm. uh, in the process of all that, I some something happened to my phone that I just died overnight. I think she may have, like, unplugged it or, like, unplugged from the charger. Right. When that happened, so my alarm to wake up for for the formation in the morning didn't go off. So I got woken up by my one of the sergeants banging on my door, at, telling mm-hmm. me I'm late with like two minutes to spare. So I came out late, and that just was a bad. That was a bad morning, a bad start to it. But right, we got we got released for the day, and I remember like after like when I was walking back to my room, I just kind of stopped and I was like I don't. 
I didn't want to go back in. Like, I just felt like a weird kind of God. feeling come up. Yeah, a weird feeling come up, come like upon me. That's so, tough. Yeah. So. What, what yeah. did that do to your mental health, though? Like, I mean, like, that's, that's, that's a lot of trauma right there in those two incidents and in the same place. And you had to face the perpetrators of those assaults. Like, how did you overcome uh, it, this thing? It was tough. Um, yeah, so, like, uh, yeah, so I'm immediately after, like, when I was walking back, I, to- I just turned around trying to catch one of the my platoon, my platoon sergeant at the time right. before he left um, to see if he could possibly speak with the barracks manager, who was the staff sergeant at the time about switching rooms, switch, like giving me a new roommate or just anything, just moving me. Wow. And um, I had to kind of open up to my platoon sergeant as to why, because um, the, Okinawa, in, the barracks in Okinawa are very tight. There's a lot of Marines that are stationed in Okinawa and a lot just, that just live in the barracks. Okay. So moving rooms was kind of hard to do because you had to have a legitimate reason to do it. You can't just do it because you just don't like your roommate. So... I had to open it to my platoon sergeant and say, like, this is what happened without going too much detail. And I was like, just please, uh, just talk to the staff sergeant, like, get me to move rooms. He's like, okay, I'll do it. And so he spoke to the staff sergeant and I got a new roommate, like four doors down the hallway. Someone I knew as well. So I was, I was in the process of moving in with her and I get called into the barracks manager office by the staff sergeant. And, um, my friends were helping me move, so thankfully they were still moving as I was talking to him. So he right. basically was like, listen, I'm not moving. I'm not moving you from that room to that room. If if you and your old roommate just have this stupid girl drama going on, he's like, I need to know why you're moving. And I was like, I'd rather not. Like, oh, I just, my goodness. Like, I'd rather just not tell you. <laughs> right. I just need to move. And he was like, no, like, you need to tell me, like, like, or else you're not moving, or else you can go ahead and put yourself right back in the other room. And, like, at this point, I kind of was, like, I feel like I was kind of cornered. So I did kind of just tell him, like, briefly, or as, like, short, and without, like, getting into any details possible, what happened. I was, I just said, I was sexually assaulted, and I don't want to be in that room. And he was like, oh, well, since I'm a staff NCO, I have to report it to your company commander. So that kind of sucked because... I think I think the last thing anyone who's been like sexually assaulted want is like for more light to be shined on it. Right. So. But, but like Daniela, I I want to thank you for like sharing because I could tell it's very very emotional for you, and um, and I really feel this is where growth happens, you know. But at the same time, like I feel like you're, I don't want you to blame yourself for what happened, right? Because you didn't do anything wrong, you know. Um, but. I mean, for for you to get the resources that you need at that point, um, I feel I feel my my takeaway is that reporting it probably was the best thing, don't you think? So you could get all the help that you needed. Yeah, I think it was like in the end, what should have happened, but I think I would have much rather done it um, restricted because once he reported it, it came, became unrestricted. Gotcha. Right. So right. yeah. So after he reported it to my company commander, because this was a, I think like a like a like a Monday when this was happening, 
I immediately got called in to go see the company commander with the first sergeant, my company first sergeant. And the thankfully, my company commander was a female, so it was a little easier to communicate with her. Right. Um, my company first sergeant, in my opinion, was very unapproachable from my past experiences with him. So I wasn't too comfortable with the fact I had to share what happened with him. But right. I go in there with my staff NCO, with my with my staff NCO at the time, not the staff sergeant who is the barracks manager, but, but, but my staff NCO. Um, mm-hmm. I tell them what happened, like a little more detailed than everything that they have to tell the battalion commander and the, and the battalion sergeant major. I have to go talk to them. And then when I get back to my platoon, all like I had about sixty something Marines in my pl- in my platoon. Mm-hmm. I had a million people ask me, "Oh, what happened?" Everyone just oh wants to know. Oh my god! So it was out there. Everybody knew. Yeah, basically everyone knew. And um, but, but, remember- but from that though, like, how do you think it could have been handled better? You know, like, and I I hear what you said about the first sergeant, and um, do you think that plays a role too? Um, with who you have to report to and the avenues of how you have to report. Like I'm learning so much from this conversation. And again, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, what could have been done better in that situation? Um, I think that something that I wish would have been a little better was, I I'm not too sure. I don't want, I don't want to put the blame on anyone or point fingers on anybody, but I think that anyone in like a leadership position, regardless of, branch of service or mm-hmm. if you're a company commander, battalion commander or just section uh like a, a section leader, I think making yourself as approachable as possible mm. is definitely something that would have been a lot better. Right. Right. Again, I just I just want to thank you and uh take as much time as you need. Um I you're just showing a lot of courage to come on and and say and speak your truth because this would definitely help other people and it's it's totally up to you what you want to share you know so and my takeaways again is just like you're tough you know you're a marine and you dealt with it and you kept pushing but obviously it was a traumatic event um how did you ever recover like how did you cope and uh did it did it have a part to play in you deciding to leave the marines um, yeah, I definitely did have a huge part in me, in me making the final decision to leave, uh, the Marine Corps. Um, because, I, because, um, after all happened, it was just a mix of feelings and just, mm-hmm. there was, there was a lot of anger and I directed that just strictly to the Marine Corps, kind of blaming the Marine Corps for like letting that all, like putting me in the situation. Right. Uh, sorry, but, um, that's fine. Uh, yeah, but like when it was closer to the time of me leaving, um, the reason of me getting out started to become more not so because I'm not, not at all because I hate the Marine Corps. I'm grateful for everything the Marine Corps, um, a lot of my experience, like good and bad because, you know, there was some growth that came out of everything. Um, but ultimately why I left was just because, um, I wanted to do something better. I wanted to, I want to become a a veterinarian in the army. So that's like my end goal right now. That's currently what I'm working towards right now. Rah, is education. You, I, yeah. I mean, you want to like, as in, go back on active duty and be like a, a vet doctor. 
Yeah, so I'm be a veterinary officer in the in the U.S. Army. Um, so yeah, I'm currently in the process of doing that. And that's ultimately why I left because that's what a goal I have in mind. Um, but as of recovering from the instances, um, I wouldn't say I'm fully recovered from that. I still, I'm still like working on it. Right. Yeah. It's just when I was in when I was um when I left Okinawa. I mean, when I was, after that incident happened, after I was done dealing with all of that, and this happened two months prior to my PCS, my change of station from mm-hmm. Okinawa, Japan to Maryland. So I was able to leave that situation. I thought me leaving Okinawa would just kind of mean just leaving all that behind. And I was doing great once I got to the States because my family is from Virginia. So I wasn't not far at all from my family, thankfully. Um, So I was basically home and I was fine. Everything was good. Didn't didn't come up with my thoughts once. Um, Then I have no idea what what happened, but it was my sister's 18th birthday party at my family at my parents' house. Mm -hmm. And it was just my family and a couple of her friends that were people I knew, people I was 100% comfortable with. And um, I just felt like an overwhelming like feeling would come upon me. I have no idea what happened. I just couldn't really handle being around that many people. So I just wow. remember going to my room and just kind of breaking down in front of my mom and my sister. That that that's okay, though. Like, listen, we, we all have this image, um, military members that we put out there being tough. Like sometimes it's good to cry and just vent and be transparent. You know, I mean, I try to be the same person and just, um, be tough a lot. And I've had a lot of things that have happened to me as well and not to your degree at all. Um, and I've tried to bottle it up and what it did was it just got worse and just kept growing inside me and it affected the way I communicated with people. You know, so I can't thank you enough for coming on and actually being so transparent. And for what I'm hearing, you're you're really um, facing this thing head on, like you've done your whole career. So I really want to thank you. Um, so of course. let me let me ask you this though: um, What advice can you give young men and women that may find themselves in the same situation? Is there anything? that you could say to them to try and overcome? Um, yeah, it would definitely be to just talk to somebody. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Right. Sorry. Because no, I it, let it... It's, it's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I just let it build up inside for too long. Right. And I'm just still dealing with it now. Right. Because I'm doing that. And I still am not really talking to anybody. But that's the thing, though. Like, if if you need the help, don't don't be afraid to um, reach out, right? And just go get the help that you need. You know, it's it's a tough, tough subject, and we have to address it as a society. We have to get better and come together, and that's the only way I believe sexual assault can be eradicated. And I truly believe it can be stopped. Because I feel it's a mentality. People think that they could get away with certain things and they go ahead and push that limit to um, to the other side of, okay, these are the rules, these are the boundaries, but they try to push it to see what they could get away with. And 
you're resilient. Um, it's unfortunate that it it played a part in you getting out of the Marine Corps because I absolutely love the Corps and it, it sounds it sounds like you love it too, right? And yeah, but but you still want to serve. You have that burn because like I don't know if you knew this, but I, I'm a prior Army uh, officer. So, oh, really? Right. So I was a, an environmental science and engineering officer, a 72 Delta. And um, so I, I believe you're trying to be a veterinarian corps officer, which is a 64. Mm-hmm. And um, that falls under, if my memory serves me right, that is actually um, an Army medical department officer. So that's phenomenal stuff. Uh, you have a lot to look forward to. Um, they'll probably, when, when you have all your paperwork done, you go to a basic officer leadership course that's in San, um, San, Sam Houston, Texas. And it's, it's another opportunity for you to hit that reset button, be in leadership and change the problem. You know, you see what I'm saying? So I do. Right. So even if it's just being a vet officer, once you put that rank on, you're an officer, period, officer first, regardless of what your specialty is. And my advice to you is like, whatever it is, get in there, work hard like you always do. And uh, make a difference in people's lives. You see what I'm saying? I do. Right. So your advice there was key. You, you said to people and people that may be in the same situation, just um, go get help. And I think the thing is just to keep working the problem. What do you think? Like, there's, we just have to keep trying to be better, right? Yes, I think that's ultimately what we all have to do. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Right. So let me let me ask you this question. I ask all my guests. Um, you may already have shared this with me, but what's the most uncomfortable thing you've ever done, and how did you overcome it? Um, I think the most uncomfortable thing I've done, like in relation, in like in relation to this situation, um, I think it was just kind of seeking, like seeking some help while I was in, um, especially once I got to my new duty station in Maryland, because mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to seek help without getting my command involved, um, as counter, uh, the, as why, why though? silly as why? it sounds, because of the bad experience I had with my prior command, I kind of just had this like toxic mentality thinking that all commands handle it the same way, so uh, I didn't want to gotcha. find out the hard way yet again, right. so, um, I went about going through the Marine Corps Community Services uh, Behavioral Health Department at Henderson Hall. Um, I went there about twice a week to go speak with a a trauma counselor, and she helped. She helped a lot. Um, this this is immediately after my little breakdown I had during uh, during my sister's birthday. Right. But I talked to her a lot, and she was actually helping me. And then all of a sudden, she just was transferred and didn't really give me a heads up and she just was gone. Wow. So that kind of, yeah, that kind of sucked. Um, like and she, didn't, she didn't communicate to you that she was PCSing? I mean, no. Like, what I just, is that? Yeah, I just went for our next appointment and I go to the front desk and they're like, oh no, she transferred. She's no longer here. Was she a civilian or? She was a civilian. She was married to a, someone in the service. I can't remember what branch. Wow. Yeah, so that was hard. And I think um, following that, um, I think reaching out to someone in the workplace was probably a little more uncomfortable than that because, um, yeah, cause it's, something that, like, it's something I didn't want to do, reach to someone who I worked with because, you know, what if they told 
uh, someone else higher in the command. But right. Right. I, like, fun, funny thing is, the person I reached out to was actually a grade below me. So, uh, but but it doesn't matter. Like you see, yeah. you see that right there is like wherever you need that. Where, if you need help, wherever you can get it, go get it. You know, like, mm-hmm. and it's like something I learned over my career is I'm very very. Um, open to speaking to everyone regardless of rank because i feel like i can learn something from every single person shoot even a, even a broken clock is right two times a day right so yeah <laughs> I mean, so yeah it's 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 not you i mean you're phenomenal with the with the uh, perseverance you've shown here and resilience and it's just i just don't i just want to thank you because from your story after everything you've overcome you still want to serve you still want to give back to the country where are you getting that from um you know i honestly i think i I credit a lot of it to how i was raised especially Mm. my father not saying anything negative about my mother but i was definitely a daddy's girl growing up i was a huge tomboy like loved to be next to my dad he was putting together like furniture set from ikea or just when he was fixing something around the house like i'd love to stand by him (laughs) yeah just anything with my dad and he was the one who got me into soccer because he still plays soccer to this day. I think he's 57 years old, still playing. But my dad wow. always just kind of like, um, just like how you say to your daughters, right. which is kind of like, there's really no limit to what you can do. Just mm-hmm. kind of like, this guy's a limit kind of mentality, he'd always tell me. Right. And um, do, do you still know. play? Do you still play? Uh, I refuse soccer? to call it soccer. No, football. Oh, football? <laughs> I do. I do still play football, actually. I play with adults adult teams out in uh in leagues around me it's nice. it's so competitive leagues but nothing nothing crazy i do want to try playing for the club team at the university i'll be attending um wow. later this august so see, see that's what i'm talking about that's what this podcast is all about passing your limit like you yeah. have no limits and you just keep putting those goals and you just keep getting them like i love it i absolutely Thank love you. it um is there anything else that you, you, you would like to share with my audience before we uh, conclude this episode? Um, I think it's just kind of touching up again on what you said about, like, regardless of your rank or your position that you hold, like, don't be afraid to learn from those below you because you never know what you can learn from just speaking to the people around you, mm-hmm. good and bad. That's mm-hmm. about it. Wow. All right. My guest again today, um, Daniela Salinas, um, she is an overcomer, a survivor. Um, she shared so much with us today and I want to thank you thank you so much for how candid you were today and, of course. and again we want to know how the story ends so I mean when you commission and you go to basic officer leadership course and you're an AMED all these terms I'm saying right now you learn eventually okay. you, you'll be an AMED officer in the army and you start saying oh, not hurrah anymore <laughs> I, I want to know how everything ends and would you come back on Pass Your Limit podcast and give us some uh, feedback? Oh yeah, of course, without a doubt. Hoorah. All right, thank you so much and uh, stay blessed, okay? Okay, thank you. Hoorah. <laughs>